We're going to be in a number of, of places here this, this morning. We're going to spend some time reviewing. We'll start over in Romans chapter 10 to begin with. But Morris was a loudmouth mechanic and he was removing some cylinder heads from a motor car when he spotted a famous heart surgeon who was standing afar off waiting for his Mercedes to get a, taken a look at. And so Morris, you know, being a loudmouth mechanic that he was, he shouted across the garage and said, Hey, Doc, is that you? Come on over here a minute. So the famous surgeon, a bit surprised, walked over to where Morris was working on a car. So Morris, Morris straightened up. He walked some, wiped some of the grease off with a rag that he had. And he said in a very argumentative tone, So, Mr. Fancy Doctor, look at this here work. I also open hearts, take valves out, grind them, put in new parts. And when I finish, this baby will purr like a kitten. So how come you get the big bucks when you and me is doing basically... The same work. The surgeon leaned over and whispered to Morris, the loudmouth mechanic, and he said, try doing it with the engine running. <laughs> Boy, sometimes we can get to be loudmouths ourselves and we all think that our way is the right way. We all think that what we're doing is the, is the right thing to be doing. And we've been looking a number of weeks, staying on this series here of doubt, how we can become doubters of the world's things and believers of God's things, that we are always going to doubt something and we're always going to believe something. The key to success is believing the things of the word and doubting the things of the world. We looked before, a number of weeks ago, at Peter in Israel, how Peter denied that he would deny Jesus and spoke up and, and had a great confession. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to deny you. I'll even, I'll even die. And we looked at Israel and their unsuccessful attack after they decided not to go in. They decided to go in. And some of the common components are, and you should be able to, to recite these. I want you to get these down. First off, they were hard-hearted. Secondly, there was resistance to the truth of the word. Peter was resistant when Jesus tried to tell him, no, you will deny me. There's a denial of facts, faults, and weaknesses in themselves. And there's a doubting of God's power and promises. Those are things that were common components there. And then we went through the Word of God and we pulled out seven examples of people who began as believers in the things of God and turned into doubters of the things of God. And we looked at seven characteristics, seven traits that they had. These are progressive traits. You start at the first and work your way on. You, may, you don't always have to get as far as the, as the fifth one. But all seven of these followed this same path. First off, they became critical of others. Second, they judged their motives without talking to them. Third, they blamed others without, uh, for their own problems, dilemmas, and shortcomings. Five or four, they justify their own actions to those not involved. And lastly, they recruit allies. And we saw that several of the seven that we looked at went through all five. Some of them got to about two or three, but we all saw them going down the same way. And so we began to look at these characteristics and to find out why is criticism causing this kind of, of a problem? Why is this type of stuff leading us down in a way and affecting our faith in this, in this way? Last week, we looked at reasonings. And we saw that reasoning is the act or, or process of a person who reasons, the process of forming conclusions, judgments, or inferences from facts or premises. The process of forming conclusions, judgments, or influ, inferences from facts or premises. We saw that Jesus dealt with a number of people, how they began to reason in their hearts. And as they reasoned in their hearts, they became resistant to the things that Jesus had. 
We saw how the disciples reasoned in their heart. And Jesus talked about where's your faith on this, on this thing. And so we saw how the reasonings begin to affect this. That what we do is we become critical of the things that we hear. And the criticism begins to pollute the pathway of which faith is supposed to come. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This does not mean that I go, as long as I hear the word of God, as long as the word of God is playing in the background, that I, my faith will grow. What it means is what Jesus said, for him who has ears to hear, let him hear. There are sometimes you can just hear the word of God and it does nothing for you. And there's other times you hear it and you gain understanding. And that's what Jesus wants us to have. When we have understanding of the word of God, faith comes. Jesus taught the parable of the sower who goes about sowing the seed. And the different grounds all receive the seed. But some received it without understanding. And it was taken away. We need to gain the understanding. It is the understanding of the word that brings us faith. And what criticism does, and this is just the first of those steps, what criticism does when we begin to embrace criticism and we begin begin to become critical all the time, uh, we become judgmental of everything that we hear. Now look at some of the people that you know. No one here, but other churches. You know, other places that you you may have have people that that you know. And... They hear a preacher on TV. How many of you have Christian friends who talk to you about preachers that they hear on TV? Preachers they heard on the radio. Preachers that they read a book on or whatever. And they begin to talk about, well, they were saying this. And immediately out of the mouth comes criticism of this thing. Now, here's where the problem comes in when we do that. We all know that we should judge the things that we hear to make sure that we are hearing the word of God, right? So what is the difference between judging the things that we hear to make sure it's the word of God and being critical? Because it would sound like it's the same thing. How many of you, you think about it, it would sound like it's the same thing. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I've got to receive the things that come from, from God and just receive them. If I sit there and become a critic, I'm trying to reason. And when I begin to reason, I'm taking the things in my mind. I'm looking at facts and premises and I'm drawing conclusions. But that's not how we learn spiritually, is it? How we learn spiritually is not through the reasonings of our minds, but it's the reception of our spirit. And so when I hear a teaching, it may not be on something that I understand, but my spirit can tell me that's right. I don't understand this yet, but I know that's right. And I receive it. But one who does not receive it sits there and becomes critical. Well, I don't know about that. I don't think that's so good. No, I don't like this one over here. And no, I don't think about this one over here and and we're, we're just, no, we, that's not how we, how we should go. My wife and I were listening to Brother Keith, and he was uh, talking about a minister that he knew, who, and they were talking about a particular topic. And he, Brother Keith asked him, he said, what do, you, what do you believe on that topic? What do you think on that? And he said, well, when I was in school, Professor so-and-so gave a discourse and said this. Well, do you believe that? Well, I'm not sure because you see the professor so-and-so came along and he gave a discourse on the same subject and he presented it this way. And they were totally opposite. Well, do you believe that? Well, I'm not so sure because when professor so-and-so came in, he, he presented it this way. Well, do you believe that? Well, I, I kind of believe a little bit of this and a little bit. Of, he, the guy was unsure. He, was, he didn't know what, was, what he believed. 
So all, all that you know in that situation was that when he encountered a problem, he didn't know where he stood on it. All he knew was professor so-and-so and professor so-and-so and this discourse. He's trying to reason out the word of God. We don't reason out the word of God. We receive it. Because first off, I am not an authority on the word of God. The Holy Spirit is. So I receive what he teaches. The Holy Spirit says, this is good. Get it. Yes, sir. That's wrong. Okay. I don't have to sit there and reason it all out, figure it all out. I just know that's that's teaching doubt and unbelief. That's doubt and unbelief. That's no good. Uh-uh. Nope. 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 Not going to take that. And then you just go on. But we don't have to sit there and be critical of the thing or, or, or whatever. Because when we do that, what we do is we train ourselves that everything that comes through our hearing must be put through our judgment. And then you'll never grow beyond what you know to be true. Oh, how many want to go grow beyond what you know to be true? I want to grow to what the Holy Spirit knows is true. He's the master teacher. He's the one who was given. He is the helper. If he is given as the helper, then he's here to help. Let him help. Let him help you. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But as long as we give into this idea of criticism, we begin to allow the hearing process to be polluted. In Mark chapter 3, verse 9, So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, wherever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. So in this brig meeting, all these people are coming around, and they're not waiting for Jesus to touch him. What are they doing? They're touching Jesus. That's in Mark chapter what? Come on, it's in your outline. Chapter 3. There you go. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 5. Come before or after? After. In Mark chapter 5. When she, the woman with the issue of blood, heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. What did she hear? That people pressed about Jesus and came and touched him and got healed. So she said, well, if I come in the, in, in the crowd and I, if I touch his garment, then I'll get healed. She heard. What, did, what happened with what she heard? She received it. A critic would say, well, I don't know about, I mean, who is Jesus? What are his clothes above anyone else's? Right? And, well, I don't know about, and then she'd still be sick. She'd still have the problem. And so the critic mind, what we do is begin to tear down. Well, I don't know about, well, I don't know. Well, Well, I don't care what you know. I don't even care what I know. What I care about is what the Holy Spirit knows. I want to receive it from him. What he knows builds my faith. What I know will kill me. We got to get beyond what I know. In Mark chapter 10, verse 46, now they came to Jericho and he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a multitude and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't cry it out one time. He kept going out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Kept crying it out, crying it out, crying it out. People around him said, will you quiet down? But he didn't. He kept on going. Many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rise. He is calling you. Oh, now they're all on his side. And throwing aside his garment, we've told you before, this is the garment, this is the blind man's garment. This lets everybody know, you are blind. 
It's like the handicap thing you have that you park into into certain spots. This lets people know you are an authorized beggar. As long as you got that blind person, you can sit by the road, you can beg, and people can give you money because you got that that garment. So he threw it aside. How's a blind person supposed to find it? So Jesus answered and said to him, "What do you want me to do for you?" See that? What did Jesus say? To a blind guy. What do you want me to do? You have a quarter? I wanted to get some coffee down at the McDonald's over there. Just need a quarter more and I can do it. Can I, can I get a bus fare home? <laughs> he doesn't ask for that, does he? But Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He does this all the time. Because people need to ask what they want God to do. The blind man said, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. What has made you well? How does faith come? By hearing. So when, going back over here to the, to the other verse. And verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus was a common name. He didn't just hear that it was Jesus. He heard it was Jesus of Nazareth. If you heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, and then all of a sudden you got up, does that mean that you knew something about Jesus? That you expected something? That it, Oh, who, Jesus who? Oh, Jesus of Nazareth? Oh, I'll get, okay. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. That triggered something on the inside of him because he had heard about Jesus of Nazareth. And when he heard about Jesus of Nazareth, what do you think he heard? People are being healed. Really? Of what? Well, I, I saw some sick people. They got they got uh, better. I saw some lame people. They got a deaf ears. I saw some deaf people. And they began to hear. Yeah, what about the blind people? Did the blind people get healed? Do you think he cares? Do you think that blind Bartimaeus cares that lame people walked? Not as much. Do you think he cares that people with fevers had fevers go? Demon spirits leave. That's all good. That's all good. But what about the blind people? Anybody see any blind people get healed? I, I, I don't know if any, any, any blind people did, but if somebody comes along, probably I saw there was a, there was a whole bunch of them, whole bunch of blind people, and he laid hands on them, and they all began to see. Really? Oh, this is good. And it's Jesus of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, I gotta find this guy. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. And he's going over. He's thinking about it. if I just see, if I get one of Jesus of Nazareth meetings. Oh, I can get healed. I won't have to be blind anymore. He's thinking about this. Is he being, being critical of it? He is speaking about this, thinking about this in a way that is of expectation. He's not thinking about it, how this is not going to work for me. How Jesus is going to come by and not care about blind Bartimaeus. He is expecting that Jesus will care about blind Bartimaeus and that blind Bartimaeus will see. And so he heard what people said, but he's receiving it in such a way as to... Bring faith. Now see, other people heard the same stories, but it didn't bring them faith. But for him it did. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But you've got to hear. You can't just listen. You've got to hear it. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately his, he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. In Luke chapter 7, verse 2. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, 
he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. When he heard about this particular Jesus, he didn't wait for Jesus to come by him. He'd go get him. Go get him. Because if he comes on the scene here, things will change. Things will happen. So here's, the, here's what they did. They heard, they believed, and they acted. We've given that to you many times. They heard, they believed, and they acted. You gotta do all that. You gotta hear from the Spirit of God building up faith. You gotta act on what you heard. You have to act. Blind Bartimaeus had to act on what he heard. The centurion had to act on what he heard. The woman with the issue of blood had to act on what she heard. The guys who let the paralytic down to the roof acted on what they heard. There were all kinds of people there, probably other sick ones, but he's the only one who got healed. Even though the Spirit of God was present to heal them, he was the only one who got healed. So they heard, they believed, and they acted. Now, in Matthew 22, I want you to see this. This is real important for us to see. I gave you the whole reference here. We're not going to look at this whole thing, but if you want to go on back and read up some more, this whole story is from verse 15 to verse 46. But we're going to pick up at verse 33 and just read 33 and 34. <clears throat> and when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they'd gathered together. This whole story is a thing where they came and they were trying to get him caught in something. They were asking him about taxes. They were asking him about other things. They were trying to trap him. And so he answered them in just a, his incredible wisdom. And look, there's two ways people went with this. One way, and when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Can you, can you picture this? What a teacher. Oh, wow, that is, that is so, oh, that is so good. Oh, I can see that. Oh, yeah, that is good. And then you have the other group. But when the Pharisees heard, look at that. When the multitudes heard, verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard, but is in contrast to, right? So when the multitudes heard, they were astonished at his teaching. But when the Pharisees heard, that they had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. What did they do when they gathered together? You can go back and read the rest of the verses, you'll find out. But they all they got together and they said, we've got to come up with some better questions. We've got to trap this guy. Are they receiving? No, they're being critical. And when you get that criticalness about you and Jesus begins to teach, you're thinking, that's not right. That's, oh, you, you shouldn't do that. When he healed on the Sabbath, what did, what did the, the critics do? Verse uh, 1 of Mark chapter 3. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. And so they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. Look at that. They're watching him closely to see if he might heal him for the purpose of glorifying God. <laughs> no, accusing him. What are they doing? They're being critical. They're sitting back there. Their critics are, they're already expected. I'm expecting this to happen. When it does, oh, we're going to get them. <laughs> we're going to get them good. So they watched him closely. Whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Where is the concern from these spiritual leaders that the man with the withered hand would have relief? 
You would think if you're a spiritual leader over the folks and you had this guy and no one else could help him, here's Jesus. Oh, maybe Jesus could help him. And maybe then he wouldn't have the withered hand anymore. And then maybe he could go and, and work and help his family and do the things that he's been saying he wants to do. But they don't care what happens to the man. They care that they can accuse Jesus. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. And I love the Greek on this. The Greek is this, be arising into the midst. In other words, there's a whole lot of stuff going on right now and I want you to get up in the middle of it. <laughs> now, if you're the man, apparently this must have been pretty evident what was, what was going on. If you're the man who had the withered hand, how many might want to say, I might want to just sit this one out. But he had a withered hand. And if he's got a shot at getting rid of the withered hand, I don't think he cares what the Pharisees are going to do. I don't have a withered hand anymore. So be rising into the midst. And then he said to him, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? In other words, all right, you guys who are critical, you guys that are on the law, which one's, which one's right? Is it better to do good or to do evil? Is it right to kill or to save a life? Well, I mean, what you tell me? Which one's better? And since he put it that way, I mean, what can they do? No, no, no. You should do bad on the Sabbath. <laughs> you can't say that kind of stuff. But if they say, do good on the Sabbath, well, okay, we're going to do that right now. So they're stuck. They don't like being, critics don't like being stuck. They don't like that at all. But they kept silent. And when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, what is one of the characteristics of people who go down this path? There's a hardness of heart. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. Then he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and rejoiced that God had set this man free. Oh, wrong translation. <laughs> then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Now, they don't like the Herodians. They despise the Herodians. But we're going to get together because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. <laughs> so right now you're my friend because we're all going to gang up on this guy. And they plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy. Before they wanted to accuse, now they want to destroy. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great multitude from Galilee followed him from Judea and Jerusalem into Dumea. And beyond the Jordan and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, and they heard how many things he was doing. When they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. So they all heard about what Jesus was doing and they came to Jesus. Did they come with a critical spirit? They came with faith and expectation. You know, you can show up at a meeting, whoever it is that's coming to town. Let's just say Benny Hinn was coming to town. You could show up at a Benny Hinn meeting, meeting with faith and expectation or with criti criticalness, couldn't you? How many of y'all know people do it both ways? Some people come into one of those meetings and they say, oh, glory to God, I'm gonna, uh, worship's going to go on. And people get healed in worship service there. I'm, I can't wait to get healed. Oh, this is going to be good. Oh, I'm gonna. And other people get in and say, I've heard this stuff as a bunch of malarkey. I'm going to prove them right. Which one's going to receive it's not hard to figure that out, is it? One's in faith, one's not. John chapter 6. Well, we missed one. 
Luke chapter 7, verse 29. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So again, we have all the people hearing the same thing. One group accepts it. And one group, no. And that we have two different reactions from it. John chapter 6, verse 52. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? This is the old, you know, eat of my flesh, drink, all that sort of stuff. They didn't like it. Then Jesus said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? If you were there back in that day, would you have had trouble? Come on, if a preacher got up in front of you and said, You've got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. How many of you are having trouble with that? This is a little, a little bit of a struggle here. I'm not quite sure what we're, what we're supposed to do with it. But look at it, the different reactions we got. This is the hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this. Uh-oh, what's that putting you on the path of? That's the path of a doubter. He said to them, does this offend you? People who are in the path of a doubter have generally been offended. Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. What gives life? The Spirit. What's the flesh do? Nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. They don't believe they are doubters. And if you doubt the words that Jesus is speaking right now, what are you going around saying? Can you believe he taught that? Oh, who can do that? No. Where do we leave off at? Verse 64. But you, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? Now look at Simon Peter's answer. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, by saying this, I don't quite get the idea that Peter has embraced what he says. But I do get the idea that he says, you have the words of life. If, if you're saying it, it's true, and, there's somehow, and, and somehow I'll get it. Somehow we'll get a hold of this thing that you're trying to get us to, to understand. But you have the words of life. That's how we need to come again, come to this thing. If we hear something that we do not understand, that was preached by a man or a woman of God, but I don't understand it, well, does your spirit bear witness with it? Well, yeah, I, I get a bear, I, my spirit bears witness with it, but I, I don't understand it. Well, then receive it. 
and get the understanding this time. Keep meditating on it. Keep going on, on it, on it, and on it, and on it, and get the understanding of it. But in the meantime, receive it. Receive the thing. Now, we're in baseball season here. How many of y'all like baseball? Appreciate both of you. <laughs> you know, I, I just about any sport that's out there, almost, almost all of them anyway. You know, there's a few of them that I just don't understand. A um, couple of those things you see at the Olympics, you know, what's that uh, thing with the ice? Curling. I don't understand curling. Um, there's some things out there that I just, I, I don't pursue watching curling. But baseball, I can understand baseball, and I can pursue that. But here's, here's the thing. You know, when they're up there and the, and the pitcher throws the ball. Because, you know, Philly, we got some good pitchers right now. And they're fun to watch. And they can make that ball do all kinds of stuff. They, and they have breaking pitches. They have off-speed pitches. They have fastballs. Now, a fastball, I can understand a fastball. How many of y'all know what a fastball is? It is a fast ball. That's, that's easy to get, isn't it? Curveball. How about a curveball? It is a ball that curves. I can understand a curveball. I can understand a fastball. I can understand an off-speed pitch. An off-speed pitch is just a pitch that is not going at the speed you think. It's off-speed. You've been throwing 90, 95 mile an hour, and all of a sudden you come at him with an 82 mile an hour one. And you're trying to time the swing, and, and you swing too soon because the ball got there too late. It's an off-speed pitch. I understand off-speed pitches. But here's where I get into a problem. There's a lot more pitches than curveballs, fastballs, and off-speed pitches. There's sliders. There's a breaking ball. Now, what is the difference? Because I've, I've watched this on, you know, I have the, the little major league app on my, my uh, computer. And so I can, and it breaks down each one. As soon as that ball is thrown, I mean, as soon as that ball is thrown, they flash it up on the screen. Breaking ball. Knuckleball. Curveball. They, right up there. And of course, the speed, they had the speed gun there. They'll tell you exactly how fast it was, but they'll throw all this stuff there. And I still don't exactly know. By looking at that pitch, I cannot tell the difference between a breaking ball, a curveball, and a slider. I'm not quite sure the difference. I know that there's a difference. I know a curveball has a curve. I know a breaking ball has a break, and I know a slider slides. <laughs> But I'm not quite sure exactly the difference between the difference of a ball that is breaking down and a ball that is sliding down or a ball that is curving down. Because to me, it's all going down. It's either curving or sliding or breaking. I'm not exactly sure how that all happens, but these guys can tell you as soon as that ball comes over what they threw. Like, how do they do that? How can you? I, I don't understand it. But, you know, the guy back there, the, the, the pitcher, he's throwing the ball. And he's throwing it to a catcher. How many of you were watching baseball yesterday? I was listening to baseball yesterday. I was driving back. And, and I understand yesterday was a good day for catchers. Catchers had a good day yesterday. Phillies catchers just had a great, great day. Could not have been a better day than to have been a Phillies catcher yesterday. One hit a grand slam, pinch hit, home run. Another one hit a two-run home run, and then another one hit another ball and drove in another run, and it just was a good day to be a catcher. If you're back there catching the ball, and the pitcher is throwing the ball, can you imagine what would happen if the, if the catcher said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I don't understand that pitch. 
No, the, the catcher catches the ball. Whether he understands the pitch or not, he catches the ball. Because you got to catch, if he doesn't catch the ball, it's bad. Runners advance. Bad things happen when he doesn't catch the, he's there to catch the ball. Catch the ball. So they get, they catch the ball and they, and they get that. And, and you know, sometimes if you watch the game, the Ruiz will get down and he'll have the, have the ball low. And then they'll come on back and show you, well, he was expecting it down here, but it actually came up here. And he had to take his glove and move it up here and get the ball. He didn't sit there and say, no, 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 I didn't expect that ball there. You get it yourself. <laughs> he adjusted and he moved the, the catcher's mitt up to catch this. Now, I'm not called to be a catcher. I never had a desire to be a catcher. The idea of being behind a plate when someone's throwing a 90, 95 mile an hour ball at you. And this is going to happen anywhere from 100 to 120 times the game. That's a lot of catches. That's a lot of 100 mile an hour, 95 mile an hour balls to be catching. And I just think of how sore my hand would probably be catching all that stuff. But, you know, again, I don't have understanding. But the catcher, he's in the receiving mode. Whether he understands the pitch, whether it comes the way he expected it to, he's in a receiving mode. The pitcher is in a throwing motion. He's giving the ball and the catcher is there to catch it. They are both in the game. They are both involved. You know who is not in the game, who's part of the game? The guys in the booth. What are the guys in the booth doing? They are evaluating the game. Well, he's standing a little bit too close to the plate there. If he keeps standing that close to the plate, the pitcher's going to... Well, that ball was a little slow. If he throws that ball that slow next time, well, that kind of hung up. That ball kind of hung up there. If that ball hangs up there the next time, he's going to hit that out of the park. What are they doing? Everything that happens in the game, what do they do? Judging it, critic, criticizing it, whatever it is. What's, what's the catcher's job? Catch it! Receive the ball! Just get it! See, too often, folks, we want to be in the booth. We want to be up there in the booth and we want to say, well, you know, when I was there and I used to play, I didn't do that. No, we are called to be down on the field. We're in the game. We're in the game. We are doing something with the ball. There are nine players out there in the field. They all have different responsibilities. Some of them are out in the field. Some of them are on the infield. Some are at first base, some at second base, some at shortstop, some at uh, third base. You got a pitcher. You got the left field, center field, right field. And the catcher. All these positions. And they all have something in common. You know what they all want? Get the ball to me. If they're out there in the field, Shane Victorino is not out there in the field saying, oh, please don't hit it here. Please don't hit it here. Please don't hit it here. What's he saying? You hit it here, I'm going to catch it. If you hit it here, I'm going to catch it. And, uh, and Howard's over there in first base. If you hit it here, I'm going to catch it. Wherever somebody is, I'm going I'm to get it. They don't sit there and evaluate. They don't sit there and crit. If you hit it here, I'm going to get it. I'm going to catch it. And we've got to get more into a receiving mode. We've got to get into a mode as believers that we are ready to receive what the Spirit of God wants to teach us. And we receive it. The Spirit of God, we know the Spirit of God. We know the voice of God. And when the Spirit of God comes up and says, this is right. All right, well, I understand it, but I'm going to get it. I'm going to meditate on this until I get it. I'm going to figure out what this is. I'm going to stay with it and stay with it and stay with it and stay with it until I get it. I don't understand it, but just because I don't understand it doesn't mean that it's wrong. And I'm not going to sit on the back back fence 
and just sit there like a judge and evaluate. Well, the curve on that pitch should have been a little... Well, the speed on that fastball. Well, that off-speed pitch. No, get into the game and be receiving. Because the Spirit of God has lots of things for us. But here we've got two groups. And when the ball comes out, you've got one group who's sitting out there and say, well, I don't like the way that really came out. That shouldn't have been done this way. And that, that, I don't like that. And you've got other ones that say, oh, that was good. Give me some more. Oh, yeah, that was good. Oh, that was good. Give me, give me another one. Come on. There's two different ways that they react. Which way are we going to react? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And one of you is a devil. We have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Can you see what's happening to their receiving mode? It's staying on, even though they don't understand what just happened. They're staying in receiving mode. I'm going to keep on receiving that. I'm going to keep on getting that, Father. But as we talked about this last week, we talked about two things. That when you got into this path of the doubter that started off with being critical and then progressed on the, into other things, when you started off the path of a doubter, that this path corrupted what we hear and what we see. Because then we become critics of everything that we hear. But don't we also become critics of everything that we see? But hearing, but faith comes by hearing. Does faith come by seeing? No, because we saw in the Bible, many people saw wonderful miracles and still didn't believe. You can see all kinds of stuff. Jesus even said, even though you see all kinds of signs and wonders, you still won't believe. Seeing won't produce believing. It's the hearing. And it's the hearing with understanding. It's that receiving. That's what produces the faith that we need. So seeing's not involved. So if this is a tool that Satan uses to corrupt the way faith comes by corrupting the path of the hearing, why bother messing with the seeing at all? Why is it that this thing picks on the seeing part? Faith doesn't come by seeing. Faith comes by hearing. So why is the seeing part included? Why is it affected? In Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. What is it that got Moses' attention? What he saw. And then when, it, when his attention was gotten, then he heard, right? What I see attracts my attention, but not always my faith. That's in your outline if you want to put that in there. What I see attracts my attention, but not always my faith. In Genesis chapter 37. I just put in there the, the references because I was running out of space for you. But 37, 3 through 5. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. 
Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. The brothers are in critical mode, aren't they? Why are they there? Because of what they saw. They saw that the father loved him more. In uh, verse 15 of chapter 50, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now, please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. So look at this. The brothers of Joseph, having overcome all the things of the past, they're walking spiritually, got the blessing of their dad and all that sort of stuff and walking with God and growing and stuff like that. As soon as the dad dies and they saw that the dad dies, they get into flesh and they said, oh, we need to make up a lie so we can convince Joseph not to kill us. What they see gets, what we see gets our attention. Exodus chapter 8, verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief from the plagues, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. What caused him to harden his heart? What he saw. Exodus chapter 9, verse 34. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. And they didn't let him go again. It's what Pharaoh saw that caused him to harden his heart, right? So the thing that I'm seeing can cause the hardness of heart, which spells, pushes me down the path of being critical, judgmental, and not receiving the things of the Spirit. How about the Philistines? When David ran over, uh, it's 1 Samuel 17, verse 51. David ran over and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Esther chapter 3, verse 5. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage, Haman was filled with wrath. You get the idea that Haman was, was, grew harder in his heart? Let's go back to a verse we already looked at here. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Speaking about Eve. So when the women saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, we used this example before, that the first thing Satan does is he sets up, what did God say? Has God really said this? And then he begins to criticize that statement. And he got them to criticize in their minds. Well, has God really... I mean, God just wants to keep us from being God, knowing good and evil. And when the women saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. How did she see that? And when the women saw that the tree was good for food that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. She's beginning to see that because Satan has put a picture in her head of what's going to happen. And she's beginning to envision all these things happening when she saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes. In other words, well, it looks like a nice tree. It doesn't look like a mean tree. It doesn't look like a bad tree. I mean, it's, it's friendly looking. And a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. 
Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain when he was getting the commandments from God, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that we shall go before us for us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. What happened? What triggered this off? What they saw. When they saw that Moses was delayed in coming down. They saw all that noise and the stuff they didn't understand going up on top of the mountain. And Moses wasn't coming back down. When they saw. 1 Samuel chapter 13 verse 11. And Samuel said, what have you done? And, and Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash. When I what? When I saw. Boy, can you see why what you see is included in this? It's pulling down one after another after another. Peter in Matthew 14, verse 30. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. He's there walking on the water because Jesus said, come out. And so he came out. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Now, let me ask you this. Did the wind suddenly kick up? Did the waves suddenly start? It had been going on, hadn't it? But it didn't bother him before. But now he's out there and he's walking. And then when it says when he saw, well, this was going on all around him. But now he's seen it differently because it's different when the waves are away from you and you're in the boat and you are on the waves. Isn't that different? It's different if you are in a storm on a huge, uh, cru what do they call those things? Those uh, cruise ships. Huge cruise ship. Whole lot different than being on a little raft. John chapter 12, verse 3. Looking at Judas. We looked at this story before too. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped her feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. What is it that set Judas off? What he saw. When he, he had to sit there and see that the woman brought this costly oil in. Now, not every, not every story is a negative in this. Sometimes people saw some things and had some good stuff happen too. Glory to God. Mark chapter 15, these aren't in your outline. Mark chapter 15, verse 39. And when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this, on, speaking about on the cross, and breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Luke chapter 17, verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, speaking of the lepers, ten lepers, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. But let's take a look at this process. When I allow criticism to permeate my thoughts and words, it not only corrupts what I hear, but also what I see. It corrupts both. But true faith is based on hearing the things of God, not seeing, right? So again, why does this have an effect? 
First off, here's, here's one reason why. I become a qualified judge of everything I see and hear. When you see people who have picked up this idea of criticism and it begins to permeate their entire being, they become a qualified judge on everything. Have you not seen that with people? If brother so-and-so gives a testimony, they are a qualified judge as to why that testimony is false. No good. Why their lifestyle isn't right. They shouldn't be able to give that kind of testimony. If sister so-and-so gets up and, and gives a word from God, they are a qualified judge as to why that sister shouldn't be able to give that word from God. How their lifestyle isn't right. How that word wasn't right. How I don't think that quali- that pertains to me. Aren't these things that these people say? Well, some of the ones I've seen do. I become a qualified judge of everything I see and hear. Here's the thing. They become unteachable in the hearing. Because they are a qualified judge. And every time they hear a teacher, they have to qualify it. They have to judge it. Well, I'm not so sure. I don't think that's exactly right. And then they begin to tell people their reasons for doubt and unbelief. Isn't that what they do? And they spread the doubt and unbelief instead of receiving the word of faith that was brought through brother or sister so-and-so. They have unteachable in their hearing. They are unsubmitted in their living. People that fall into this, once it gets steeped inside of them, they are the qualified judge. They are the one who is qualified to be the judge. And they are unsubmitted in their living. You find one of these people and you say, who do you just submit to? Who do you just receive from? Is there anyone who can just speak into your life and just, you'll receive it? Anybody at all? No, these people don't have that. You know, we were down there at Raymond. I left Raymond. I told you, I've told you folks a story. There were two areas that Brother Hagen and I did not see eye to eye on when I left Raymond. Now, it was pretty good. I guess it was only two, but there were two areas that we did not see eye to eye on. I never one time ever came out of there, ever, ever one time hinted or said anything to the effect that Brother Hagin was wrong and I was right. Most times have I ever talked about it to anybody, I would say, well, I, I'm just not, I don't know what he sees in that. I wish I did because I, I, don't, I can't see it that way. I see it in a different way, but I want to know what he had. One of the areas he never taught on. He just said it was so, and I had somebody else at school teaching on it, and they didn't really do a, uh, they didn't convince me of, the, of those things. And there's another area that uh, that we didn't on. I'm glad to say, you know, uh, I lined up. But I never went out of there ever saying, well, he's wrong. Because Brother Hagin, I put him into a place where he can sow into my life. He can speak into my life. And yes, sir, that's right. Yes, sir. You've got to have that. But you see people that are the qualified judge. No, no, no. They're going to judge everything. And uh, they're unsubmitted in their living. What does the Word of God say about us being unsubmitted? They're unteachable, they're unsubmitted, and and third, they are unquestionable. I messed that up in my outline there, but anyway. They are unteachable in their hearing. They are unsubmitted in in the living. And you are unable, they are unable to, I'm trying to think of how I phrase it. I'll have to come up with that and figure it out for you next time and give you the third one because it was a good one. But I have it uh, it in a way that's even confusing how I put it there. So I'll give that to you before. Or uh, next time we come back in. Because there's still more on this we have to get over. They are isolated from gifts, believers, and the Holy Spirit. 
when they fall into this, they isolate themselves from the gifts, from believers and the Holy Spirit. What do we mean by that? The gifts that are given to the body of Christ are prophets, apostles, pastors, teachers, so forth, and the, the list goes on. They are isolated from them because they are the judge whether they're good enough or not. They, are, they don't receive from believers because every time a believer gets up and says an encouraging word, brings a, a prophecy, brings something, a, a testimony, they're always judging it. They're always the qualified judge. And so they don't receive from other believers. They don't receive from other gifts in the body. And the Holy Spirit, how can you hear from the Holy Spirit when you've got all this going on? You are the authority. And as long as he can get them going down this path, you are the authority and you're, you're not going to get the things that are needed for faith. You won't submit to the Holy Spirit. My spiritual faith weakens and my flesh faith rises up. And this is, Christians don't always realize this, but the spiritual faith becomes weaker and weaker, but in its place comes the flesh faith. And I think I am believing God for a thing and I can't even hear the flesh on it. I can't even hear all the flesh in it. Because if a believer comes up and tries to tell me, you've got a lot of flesh in your faith, what do I do? I'm a qualified judge. And I judge that as being wrong. If a teacher comes up and teaches me something that points out my flaw, I'm a qualified judge. And that's wrong. I'm not that way. I shut it down. I don't receive it. I become isolated from gifts, believers, and the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit can't even talk to me. And this is the, this is the way that Satan loves to get us the Word of God says he is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Whom does a roaring lion devour? It's real easy. When, you chase, when the lion chases the herd, who do they get? And who is the weakest one? The one that they separate from the herd. Whenever you watch the National Geographic specials or the Animal Kingdom specials that they have on there, the lion is chasing... The herd of, what are they that they chase? I, I even forget what they are. The wildebeest, whatever the thing is out there. And they're chasing them and they're chasing them and they're all staying together, all staying together. And the goal of the lions is to get one of them to separate. And as soon as they get that one to separate from the herd, he's dead. The wildebeest is done. He's just running a little longer. But as soon as they get him separated, the lions know we got him. And this is what the devil wants to do. He wants to get us separated. I don't receive from believers. I don't receive from the gifts. I don't receive from the Holy Spirit. I am separated and I am easy prey. My spiritual faith weakens and my flesh faith rises up. Now belief is based on my understanding of what I see and hear. Boy, how far is that going to get you? We've got to get beyond our own understanding. But now it's based on my understanding of what I see and what I hear. And I can't ever get beyond it. Folks, the goal is to get beyond my understanding and get into God's. How does God see this? How does God understand this to be? But as long as I'm, uh, I go down that path and it just starts off with this thing of being critical towards one another, it just starts off with that. Once we do that, what happens? Problems. Ethel started us off here, reminded us about the 1 Corinthians 13. And these are, these are good things for us to get. If we follow after what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, we cannot get off in the area of being critical. It is impossible to get off on the path of a doubter which starts with criticalness if you hang on 
to the walk of love. It is impossible. You cannot do it. Can't do it. Now, I want to read uh, 1 Corinthians here to you in a couple of translations. First of all, I'm going to read this to you out of the New, uh, the New Living Translation. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustices, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Now, let me read it for you another one. This is from the message. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. I like that. Love doesn't what? Want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Takes pleasure in the flowering of of the truth. When we saw the Pharisees and they saw the meeting going on and people were being healed, did they take pleasure in the flowering of the truth? No, nah, they didn't do it. They didn't do it. God wants us to not walk down the path of a doubter. When we started the path of doubters before, we gave you seven examples and then two extras we threw in and challenged you to go back into the Word of God. I haven't heard from anybody yet that they've gone back into the Word of God and found any other stories that they've looked over. I'm still waiting here on that one. Love feedback, folks. Feedback is good. Appreciate that kind of stuff. But you'll see this pattern. I've gone through and I've found some other stories about this. There is not a single time that a person, not a single time that a person in the Bible went from being a believer to a doubter who did not follow this path. That should tell you something. They didn't all get to step five, but every single one followed this path. And they went from being a believer to a doubter. And most times, in the stories that I saw, they never realized anything happened. Never realized it. We've got to be on guard for this because we, be, we want to become doubters of the things of the world, not doubters of the things of God. But the enemy is out there and his goal is to get you to doubt the things of God. And so he begins to sow into you thoughts to be critical of another believer, another brother or sister. And it's not, how many of y'all know, it's, it's not wrong to see faults in other people. Because you know what? We all have them. We all got faults. I don't have to turn my, my eyes blind to people's faults. Well, you know, brother so-and-so, that's the way they are. That's the way this sister is. They're growing. Glory to God, they're glowing. But, you know, that's where they are right now. That's all right. But you see, if it comes up in me with the purpose of helping and, and ministering to them, that's one thing. But if it comes up in me for the purpose of sharing with Brother Joe over here, sister so-and-so, just to share and just to, for us to commit back and forth. And we're not going to do anything with it. We're not going to help them out. We're just going to talk about how bad they are. That's not going to help that situation out, is it? That's not our call. That's not our purpose. But Satan wants to get us in there. 
And, you know, sometimes it's for the purpose of praying. If you're in the men's breakfast last week, the uh, teaching that Brother Keith brought out had, uh, had that in there. You know, for, for the purpose of praying for each other and just uh, helping each other out. But no, don't fall into that. If you have people that you have influence over, that you can help, and you see a fault, the Word of God says go out there and restore them. Talk to them. Help them out. Gives us procedures what to do. But the devil wants to mimic those procedures close enough to pull you in to become critical. And once you're critical, and then he begins to set up the others, the other steps. One, two, three, four, five. And trying to get, he's going to try and get you down all the way as much as he can. If he gets you to five, folks, I, I don't think I ever saw anybody. I didn't, I didn't study for this, but in my mind I'm going through it. I don't think I saw a single person who went through, through step five, got into step five, whoever got out. I'll have to go back through and think of it and just go from that, that point. But once they got to the point of recruiting other people for their cause, I never saw a single one get out. In the Word of God. Not saying that it can't be done. Glory to God, anything can be done with God. But we have to become teachable again. There's more to be getting into this. This is just to start your med- meditating on this. We're going to look at some things here going on with this. Because this is important. If we want to become people of faith. How many of you know that there have been some faith things that are going on in your life that has not happened? Why? Why is it that my faith has not brought about that victory yet? And I've got to find out what that is. And if there are some patterns in the Word of God that He gives us, we need to study these things out. And especially a pattern that's in every single one that I uncovered who went from a believer to a doubter. A believer of the things of God to a doubter of the things of God. Would you all stand up with me? Praise God. Praise God. Father God, we thank you. Oh, we give you the praise and the glory. We want to be receivers. Father, we just want to be on the field, playing the game, receiving the things that are out there. Receiving the things from your spirit. Receiving the things from other believers. Receiving the things from the gifts that you have put in the body. And even though these vehicles are not perfect, we can still receive from them. Our mind, sometimes our flesh wants to go out in that direction where we begin to pick them apart and find out why they are no good and why they shouldn't be able to do these kind of things. But Father God, you work good through every person who yields themselves to you, even if the vessel isn't completely pure. Oh, I thank you for that. Father, if you can use Samson, you can use us. Oh, boy. What a, a man who just didn't seem to seek after you at all, but you still used him. Father, if you can use that, you can surely use us. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us. You can take a guy like Paul and turn him around. Oh, you can take our lives and you can turn it around and make us into something. That we can become believers of the things of God, not doubters. But we do become doubters of the world. We don't believe what the world says. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us on this. We give you the glory and the praise. I thank you, Father, this week. The people will be going on home, meditating in the Word, meditating in their spirit on these principles, and you're going to be enlightening them on some things, showing them some things, that they'll be, oh, I see, oh, that principle's working in my life here. Oh, glory to God, that's good. Oh, there's that, there's that thing I've got to be aware of. Oh, okay, that's working its way in. Oh, I'm going to be careful of that. And faith is going to build, and they're going to be ready, and then they're going to come in next week, say, oh, this is... I am ready to receive this. I thought that I had to wait and wait and wait on this, but now I'm ready to receive it. God opened up some things for me to see. Lay hands on me, pray for me, do whatever it is the Word of God has said. They'll come in expecting.
They'll come in asking. They'll come in ready. Father, we thank you for it. We thank you that we can speak to mountains and that they move. And that whatever it is that we ask in prayer, that we have the things that we ask. Father, we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.